Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. We're on part three of our study on the seven deadly sins. We kicked it off talking about who can, who can tell me what we started with. Pride. This young man right here, he knew it right. Thumbs up, man. Second week, last week, we talked about envy, and that today it brings us to gluttony. Man, do I want to get this one out of the way. I figure there's very few things in life more annoying than a chubby preacher preaching to you about gluttony. So we're just going to get this one right out of the way. You know, the main point of this sermon series has been that God wants to replace these sins in our life, these seven deadly sins with seven very positive virtues. So today we want to talk about how God wants to replace the sin of gluttony in our lives with the virtue of self-control. The opposite of gluttony is self-control. Now, to be honest with you, the Bible doesn't have a lot to say concerning the sin of gluttony or using the word gluttony. There are a few verses. Mostly it refers to areas of self-control within our lives in general. So uh, I want to begin this morning by going straight into God's Word. I want us to look at Galatians 5.22, where the Bible is speaking about the fruits of the Spirit. And it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There you go. So God's Word is telling us that we should all possess control in our lives. And the sin that keeps self-control from ruling our lives is the sin of gluttony. Here's the definition of the word gluttony. Gluttony is the inordinate desire to consume more than which one requires. And it's talking about every area of our life that we tend to overconsume, or that we are constantly grasping for more than we really require. Gluttony is about overconsumption in our life. Say overconsumption. But it's not just about food. Also, let me say, there is actually a difference between excessive com- consumption and overconsumption. I'll give you an example here. There's a restaurant in Memphis, Tennessee called the Bigfoot Lodge. And they sell this hamburger called the Bigfoot Lodge Burger. There it is. It's four and a half pounds of meat on that hamburger. And if you can eat that hamburger and all the french fries that they give you in one hour, then it's free. You got it. You've seen those deals. It's free. Now, I'm telling you, if you actually try and eat that thing, you are guilty of excessive consumption. Whereas overconsumption really amounts to just one bite too much. You see the difference? In our life, just one step further than we should have gone is overconsumption. But, uh, by the way, this, uh, this Bigfoot burger thing, the current champion is a guy named Joey Chestnut. Does that make your name ring a bell with anybody? Every 4th of July, I, am all, I turn the TV on at about 11 o'clock in the morning, and they go out to Coney Island, and they're televising the Nathan's hot dog, national hot dog eating 
contest. It is a big, big deal. And these crazy people see how many hot dogs they can consume. I think it's 15 minutes, if I'm not mistaken. They have 15 minutes. And Joey Chestnut is the world hot dog eating champion. I think he's eight-time world champion. I believe last year he consumed, uh, you can Google it, but I think it was 72 hot dogs and the bun in like 15 minutes. What, what an accomplishment. I'm sure his mother is so proud. But what is interesting is that these world champions are never big fat guys. Like you think they would be, right? Actually, they're always thinner guys. And they, the reason I know this is because I watch this every year and they talk about it. Thinner people have more room to expand their stomach. They don't have this weight kind of holding everything in. And so the thinner guys are the guys that always win. I just thought that was entering. It has nothing to do with my sermon, but aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Did you find that very, very interesting? That's 72 hot dogs. Here's what you need to hear this morning. Gluttony is about a lot more than just food. In fact, the actual definition of gluttony is really just slightly related to food. Gluttony is about the overconsumption of anything in our life. So this morning, we're going to look at, uh, I'm going to give you a short list of some common things that uh, people struggle with, things that we need to understand. It's important that we know it's more than just about food. It's about craving more of something in our life than we really need. And our focus today is going to be on allowing God to exchange this area of gluttony in our life for the virtue of self-control. And let me also just go ahead right off the bat and say we have all been guilty of this sin at some point in our life. You might be the skinniest person in here, and I'm telling you, you've done it also. We've all been guilty of it. We have all been guilty of consuming or having desires uh, more than we need or more than is healthy for us in our life, spiritually and physically healthy for us. So, uh, we've all committed these seven deadly sins in our life. We've all done it from one time or another. There's nobody here who has lived their life completely free of pride and envy, anger, greed, laziness, gluttony, or lust. We've been guilty of all of them. If you say you haven't, I'll just shake my head, but inside I'm thinking, man, you're a liar. I know better. We've all struggled with these things in our life. So uh, in, in, in our next installment that won't be next week because we have a special guest speaker and who's all going to show up and bring somebody next week? Five of you. Wow, I am so overwhelmed. That is so great. Who's going to show up and try to bring somebody? Okay, I got a few more hands on that one. Do it, do it. Just make it a point to do it. So uh, in the next installment, we're going to be talking about anger. Then we're going to hit greed. Then we're going to talk about slothfulness, or in other words, laziness. And then we're going to wrap it up by talking about big number seven, lust. So there's a lot of interesting topics, co topics coming up. But today, we're, we're trying to figure out how to overcome gluttony in our life. Now, some people wonder why, why is gluttony even a sin? I mean, they might reason in their head that... Uh, you know, my gluttony does not affect or hurt anybody else. Not like anger or greed or, or some of these things that can be very, you know, 
volcanically eruptive in our life and just the lid blows, some people get hurt. And, you know, gluttony, it only affects really the, the person that's involved in it, right? Not always, not usually. Now, I don't know if you remember, but back in the first installment of this series, uh, just a couple weeks ago, I told you that Pope Gregory the Great, he was the first one to really have this list compiled, which came to be known as the seven deadly sins. I believe it was in the fourth or fifth century when this took place. And I found this interesting, because this is, this is the guy's opinion who had this list compiled and did a lot of study on this. It was his opinion that gluttony was the worst one of all of them. You find that interesting or surprising? Here's what he said. He said, unless we first tame the enemy dwelling within us, namely our gluttonous appetite for more, we haven't even stood up to engage in spiritual battle. Now, I found it interesting. He didn't say, namely our gluttonous appetite for more food. He just said our gluttonous appetite for more. More of what? Whatever it is we're gung-ho after. Whatever it is we're craving. Whatever it is that desire is in our heart and it's there so strong, man, we just can't hardly think about other things, let alone God. And we put these desires in our heart ahead of our desires for God. And when we do that, we are being gluttonous. He was of the opinion that we have to tame ourselves before we can even think about tackling all these other sins and temptations that come our way in life. And I thought, you know what? That makes sense, doesn't it? We have to learn to control ourselves first. So this morning, I'm going to have us look at a few things that we can do in our life to help us overcome this sin of gluttony and replace it with this virtue of self-control. Step number one in, in doing this, and you'll notice this is kind of step number one in all these things as, as it weaves its way through this series. Step one is pretty much always the same. We have to identify this issue in our life. We need to identify and admit our areas in our life that we have been being gluttonous in. It's pretty logical. If we don't admit to ourselves that we have issues or that we're struggling with something, nothing's ever going to change, is it? And we have to closely examine our lives, identify these areas that are out of control. So let's face it, we've all been guilty of consuming more than we really require in a lot of areas of our life. We talked about uh, the economic state of our nation a little bit in last week's uh, sermon. And gluttony plays a major factor in our economic problems. For years, people have been consuming far more than they needed or could afford. And therefore, it has greatly weakened our, our economy because of gluttony. Now, here's something that was brought out while I was studying this topic of gluttony as far as food is concerned. This was interesting. Not only is overindulgence of food a form of gluttony, but even underindulgence of food can be a form of gluttony. We're taking something too far than we should, to an extreme in our life, to where it's not healthy for us, it's hurting us. There's a lot of people that do some pretty excessive things to lose weight these days. I mean, people will abuse diet pills, laxatives, diuretics. Doctors have diagnosed this. There is now a diagnosis for exercise addiction. 
Now, praise God, I overcame that years ago. I have won complete victory in the area of exercise addiction. I can take it and then just walk away. It's not a problem. I know you can't tell, but it's true. Doctors in the Los Angeles, Hollywood area, they, they say they are one of the few places that they know of where they actually see more cases of unhealthy underindulgence of food than overindulgence. And the reason is there's so many people out there in that area just, you know, doing whatever it takes to break into show business and they're starving themselves trying to, you know, get to that perfect weight so they have that perfect look to begin their career and people are just starving themselves. So this subject of gluttony, it's, uh, it's a lot broader than just our waistline. It's a pretty broad subject found in a lot of areas of people's lives. So I want to talk about just a few of them this morning. The first one is obviously food. It is no secret that the overconsumption of food is a problem. More Americans suffer from obesity today than ever before in history, but it's also true at the other end of the spectrum. More Americans today are suffering from anorexia and bulimia than any other time in our history. It's two opposite ends of the spectrum where people are overdoing it. But it's common knowledge. We know today obesity leads to heart disease, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, can even lead to impotence. Well, I saw a few heads turn up on that one. It can be a real problem. So the dangers of overconsumption of food is no secret today, right? We all know about it. What I find annoying about this whole thing is that in my 20s and 30s, I was pretty thin. And yet I could eat more back then than I can eat today, if you can imagine. I mean, I could just eat all day long and not gain a pound. And then, you know, I hit my uh, mid-30s, 40s, and every year, get on that scale, it's a few pounds more, even though I can't eat as much as I used to. Isn't that annoying? You know, this whole business, this whole business of body metabolism slowing down, that ought to be a sin. Don't you think? But we can't change it. We don't have the power. We're all just going to have to learn to live with it or die with it, whatever the case may be, right? But as I said earlier, food is a relatively small part of this overall topic of gluttony. It, it's, it shows its head in so many areas of our life. Here's another area people become addicted to, shopping, stuff. We live in a society that, man, people just want stuff. They get it in their head. They can't get it out. Everything is centered. I got to have this. I got to have this stuff in my life. I need it. And as soon as they have it, it's fun for a few days, but all of a sudden they notice now a new thing has popped up. Got to have that. Got to have that. Shopping can be gluttonous. The need to consume or acquire things. Now, we all need a certain amount of things, right? We all need some things. We all need clothes. Those of us who have overindulged in food, we really need clothes because this needs to be covered up. Nobody wants to see this. Clothes become very important. But how much stuff do we need, right? Some people are addicted to stuff, to shopping. If they get a little depressed or, or heaven forbid, bored. Don't you get annoyed today? I, I got to say, I see it a lot in young people. Sorry, young people, but they're sitting around. What's the matter? I'm 
Lord, it takes a lot to keep us entertained these days, doesn't it? We get bored so easily. Sometimes people that have shopping addiction, man, they get a little bored, bang, they go shopping. People have stuff hanging in their closets or stuffed into dresser drawers, tags still on them, they forgot they even had it. Raise your hand if you've ever been guilty of that. I have found stuff hanging in my closet or put or in a drawer, still got the tags on it. I forgot I even had it, which means, did we really need it? Probably not, right? But we've got it nonetheless. And, you know, so many of us have, have been guilty of that. We, we can certainly go too far in that area and, and get ourselves found in just this trap of materialism. And that trap almost always leads to excessive debt which is just another form of gluttony, excessive debt. Here's one. We're not going to talk about this much today because we're going to hit this hard week seven, pornography. Now, I will say this about pornography. In some of these other areas of our life, there are acceptable levels, right? But I have to say there is no acceptable level of pornography. There are proper levels of food or shopping or different things. Pornography becomes gluttonous the moment you engage in it. But like I said, that's all I'll say because we're going to hit this one in, in week seven pretty good. Now I'm going to talk about a couple that are real powder kegs in churches today. Everybody, and as long as I've been pastor, I get this a lot. Pastor, why do you think about drinking and smoking? I get it a lot. Even in the assemblies of God, there's much, there's much talk over whether, you know, social drinking should should be allowed, you know, the glass of wine with the meal. Now, I'm not going to get into any long theological debate this morning on whether or not there is this acceptable level of drinking, but I'm going to give you my opinion, okay? Is that okay? Anybody going to get mad and walk out just because it's my opinion? Well, if I see you get up and leave, I'll know. As your pastor, here's what I'm going to say. This is my opinion, that as Christians... If we're really striving to be the best example of God's love that we can be, the best example of His compassion, the best example of godly moral standards to the world around us, then I think, I don't know if there's an acceptable level of drinking. I think it's something that we are going to be so blessed to keep out of our life rather than to introduce it into our life. So one reason I think it's bad for our witness is I'm telling you this, even non-Christians, people in the world, they associate drinking with worldliness. And yet as Christians, we strive to become less worldly and more godly. Amen? Boy, it got real quiet in here. I'm, I'm giving my, uh, my opinion. Uh, am I going to stand here and tell you that I'm telling you a glass of wine with your dinner is just going to send you straight to hell? I'm not going to say that. But I will say that anytime we are involved with alcohol, we're flirting with disaster. The only way to get drunk is to take the first drink. Can we all agree on that? And the Bible, in no uncertain terms, it tells us that drunkenness flat out is a sin. We know it. So that being the case, why dangle the carrot in front of yourself? Let me ask you a question this morning and just be honest. If you worked in a gunpowder factory, would you light a candle just because you liked the smell of it? I'm going to guess no. I don't think anyone can deny the harm 
that overconsumption of alcohol has brought into our society. And it all starts with the first drink. I have a son-in-law who was raised by a very abusive alcoholic father, and he can tell you story after story how alcohol destroyed their family, how alcohol brought incredible amounts of pain into his life. So why do we, why even dangle that thing in front of us? There, there are precious few things that will cause us to lose our self-control, and that's what we're talking about this morning, right? How to maintain self-control in our life. Precious few things that cause any of us to lose self-control quicker than drinking. I remember a story I heard several years ago. I still find it amusing. There was a couple laying in bed late one night. It's about 3 o'clock in the morning. They keep hearing this. Finally wakes them up. Somebody's downstairs banging on the front door. And so the husband, he, you know, finally gets, I guess I'm going to have to go answer this. Gets up, trudges downstairs, kind of annoyed. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. He opens the door, and there is a drunk guy standing at his front door. And he says, excuse me, sir, he said, could you give me a push? And he said, dude, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm in my pajamas. I can't come out and give you a push. Now just, you know, get out of here. And closed the door, went upstairs, told his wife what had happened, and she sits up in bed. She says, Henry. Name happened to be Henry. No offense, Henry. <laughs> He said, I can't believe you're not going to go help this guy who needs a push. Have you already forgotten about that time we broke down alongside the road? Finally, that kind gentleman came alongside us and helped give us a push. And, and now you're not going to extend that favor to someone else. You get yourself out of bed. You get down there and you go give that man a push. All right. He gets up, puts his slippers on, puts his robe on, goes downstairs, open up the front door, can't see the guy. It's so dark. I said, hey, are you still out here? Then he hears from over on the side of the yard. He said, yeah, I'm, I'm still here. He says, you still need a push? Oh, I need a push. He said, well, well where are you? He said, I'm sitting here over on your swing set. Apparently, I found that story a lot funnier than you did. <laughs> I thought it was pretty amusing. I'll wrap this part up. Bottom line, drinking will certainly cause us to lose self-control. Gluttony is about complete con uh, not having control in our life. So we have to ask ourselves questions. Who is in control of our life? Who are we placing in control of our life? Are we placing God in control of our life? Or when we get gluttonous, you know what we do? We decide, no, I'm going to be in charge of my life. At least these few little areas, I'm going to remain in charge of that in my life. And nine times out of ten, those are the exact areas that are going to get you in trouble. You're either allowing God to control your life or you're giving control over to yourself. It's one of the two. So while we're on the subject, we'll hit this one, smoking. I grew up in the assemblies of God. I grew up in the assemblies back in the day when it was wrong to do anything. How many of you remember? Anybody experienced those days? You couldn't do anything. Anything you did was a sin. But smoking, oh my lands. If you saw someone with a cigarette in their fingers, they were headed straight to hell. They would not pass go, would not collect $200. I mean, buddy, that was it. Now, do I still believe that the simple act of lighting up a cigarette is condemning someone to hell? No, I don't believe that. 
However, let me finish. I think we need to take a long, close look at the reason someone decides to smoke. Was it out of a spirit of rebellion? Because we know rebellion is a sin. Was it to be popular and accepted? Because if it was, that is a form of pride, and we know that pride is a Or was it because smoke is a natural repellent of mosquitoes and you have an intense fear of malaria? That's one logical answer. I've never heard it in my life, though. And I would say is I don't think there's anyone here who could give me a good defense on why smoking is a good thing to do, right? National medical reports show that over the last 20 years, this is interesting, I think, there's been a substantial decrease in smoking and almost the exact same percentage of increase in obesity in society. So people are trading one gluttonous area for another. The American Cancer Society says that on average, for every cigarette a person smokes, you lose 13 minutes off your life. That means one pack, four and a half hours off your life. Every five packs a day off of your life. How could it be worth it? So people always want to know, so pastor, is it possible? Can you be a Christian and still smoke? Well, it depends on if your pants are on fire. And if your pants are on fire, it means you're obviously lying about something. Or else your pants wouldn't be on fire, right? But to answer the question, is it possible to be a Christian and still smoke? My answer is possibly so. But I can tell you this much. If it's possible to be a Christian and smoke cigarettes, the only good reason I think someone could give is that they love the Lord so much, they're doing everything in their power to get to heaven as quickly as possible. It's the best reason I can come up with. Sixth and seventh common areas of gluttony, and these won't sound like a big deal. Entertainment and idle activity are gluttonous areas in many people's lives today. And these two things go very hand in hand. There's nothing inherently wrong with being entertained, right? And at times, we certainly need those times of just rest and relaxation. But what we're talking about is an overindulgence in these areas of our life. People, some people are just sleeping their life away, accomplishing nothing in their life. They have no motivation. They have no heart's desire. They're just existing. And God says he has this very unique plan for your life. But in order for it to come to fruition, you got to get up off your duff and you've got to get busy. That was a little weak. We got to get busy. Okay, I can go on now. You know, we can sleep half of our life away. At the same time, there are people who are addicted to entertainment, addicted to video games, television, music, internet, Facebook. How many of you know some Facebook addicts? It's like they must be on there 24-7 because as soon as you post something, bang, they respond just like that. They got to be staring at that thing all day long. I don't know how they do it. So there could, we, could, we could compile a list a mile long of things that people are compulsive about in their life. People might stay up till three in the morning watching TV, even though they've got school, they've got some business presentation the next day, and you know they get up their dead dog tired. Well, no kidding. But there's, like I say, 
all forms of, of gluttony that we can be excessive in, in, in our life. What you have to do is think about your own personal life, and you have to be honest with yourself. You have to ask God, help me be honest with myself, because I've learned this in life, nobody gives you more grace than you. If when it comes to extending grace, man, we are the first to extend grace to ourselves, right? It's just human nature. But we have to ask God, Lord, help me really see areas of my life that I'm just over-consuming in. You know, we have to identify those areas and then we have to confess them. Do this right now. Confession is so good. To, turn to the person to your side. Tell them your top three gluttonous areas. No, I'm just kidding. How many did get a little nervous right there, though? You know, you felt some muscles kind of tighten up as you're sitting there. Oh, my goodness. I'm just kidding. Just do it in your head, though. I want you to do this in your head. Just come to grips with whatever personal areas of gluttony that you're experiencing in your life. Psalms 32.5 says, Finally, I confessed all my sins to you, and you stopped trying to hide and to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Man, it feels so good when we're not hauling guilt around on our back, doesn't it? I tell you, confession is absolutely great for the soul. That's the key. When we confess, we're admitting to God, we've got some issues in our life that you want me to be working on. And if you don't know what they are, just ask him and then listen. He'll share with you areas of your life that he wants you to start working on. And when we are faithful to confess these things to God, he is faithful to bring forgiveness and strength into our life that we can now begin to have strength to combating these things that we've been overindulging in, whatever it is. Confessing our areas of gluttony to God, it allows him to replace those areas with self-control. The second thing we can do is we can ask God for wisdom before we even start to consume. You say, consume what? Whatever it is you're about to consume, whether it's physical, uh, whether it's food, food, drink and smoke and shop and TV, sports, whatever it is, things we've talked about, just pray first. Just stop, pray. The Bible tells us God orders our life when we are faithful to pray. Gluttony of any form is a disorder in our life. And prayer always brings order out of disorder. Prayer brings order to the desires of our heart. You know, most of the time, we, as I said, that we have gotten our lives in just some horrible mess, you can almost always trace it back to us following a desire of our heart that was way out of line with God's will. But we put ourselves in charge. Anybody been there other than me? Happens every day. It comes down to that fact that it's our heart's desires that often get us in the most trouble. We oftentimes fall into gluttony uh, because there's maybe something about ourselves that we don't like. We're very insecure in life. Uh, sometimes uh, people overeat because they're depressed about something. They're lonely. They go shopping for the same reasons. Uh, they have issues of self-esteem, and so they just react in overindulgent ways. And the fact is that a lot of times gluttony, of, in whatever area of our life it might be, is usually just covering up some root issue in our life that we're just, we're just not really wanting to deal with. 
And so we have gotten out of control in, in certain areas of our life. We have to come to the point in our life where we're willing to be just completely honest with ourselves and we allow God to show us how to deal with these areas of overindulgence in our life. So just begin today to ask God for wisdom and discernment in these areas. And that brings us to point number three on how we combat this. And that is start today to set your enough zone boundaries. Set some enough zone boundaries. Setting boundaries is going to be key to overcoming every area of gluttony in our life. This is where you're going to say, now, okay, I'm, uh, I'm only going to spend this much when I go to shopping today, period. Or I'm only going to eat so much today. I'm just going to eat half of whatever they bring me. I'm working on that one. I, haven't, uh, I don't do real good at that sometimes. I have a tendency, if it shows up in front of me, it's going down. Who else is like that? We got some things to work on, don't we? None of us are perfect, are we? We've all got the areas. We just got to come clean and say, yeah, I need to do better at this. We need to begin to develop these enough zones. We predetermine what we're going to allow ourselves to consume, whatever that may be referring to. You know, how many times when it comes to eating, how many times have you said, oh man, I shouldn't have taken that last bite. Like not taking that last bite would have solved everything. We always blame it on that last bite, don't we? We don't blame it on the first 100 bites. It was that last bite that kind of put us over the edge. And once we begin to really look at these areas in our life, we begin to realize uh, that these areas of our life are usually spiritual issues that require a spiritual solution. And that brings us to step four. This is a pretty powerful step in our life, but it's becoming less and less used, less and less popular. But step four is take the fasting challenge. According to God's Word, and God's Word is never wrong, correct? God's Word is never outdated. His Word is never irrelevant. Fasting is the spiritual solution for gluttony, no matter what area of gluttony we're talking about. Chances are good that food may not be your main area of gluttony. There's so many others. So whatever area that is, whether it's, whether it's overeating, undereating, money, shopping, whatever it is, fasting is a great way for you to give control of that area over to God and in the meantime, be listening for that still small voice because He is going to speak to you. He's going to talk to you and you are going to have your eyes opened up and maybe some areas that you didn't even realize in your life that you were overindulging in. Once you spend some time and allow yourself to listen to Him, he will speak to you, and all of a sudden the light bulb comes on and say, You know what? Yeah, that's been a weakness in my life. Thank you for revealing that to me. And I'm I need your help. I need your strength, God. See, sometimes we're, we try to do it all on our own, and usually we fail. We have to have God's strength to defeat a lot of these areas in our life. So, how much do you fast? How long do you fast? I don't know. You and God have to get together on that one. I can't answer that question for you, but I do know that God absolutely does reward fasting in these whatever this area of your life that you're dealing with. You know, maybe some of the areas of gluttony are some of these that we've talked about, but like I say, yeah, the, the list could be so long. 
take some time and fast in these areas and see if God doesn't begin to really move in your life. You know, the Bible says that your fasting should be done in private. And I believe that's true. Don't go out and have t-shirts printed up. I'm fasting, leave me alone. I've dealt with people like that. You know, it's like, oh man. But I do say this, it's really great if you do get, get yourself an accountability partner. Find at least one person that can hold you accountable to this goal of fasting, whatever this area of your life is. Someone that you can trust. Someone that you have a relationship with. And just get that accountability partner. Because the truth oftentimes is this. Gluttony, in whatever form it is that we're dealing with, is simply us trying to uh, fill some kind of spiritual void in our life with some type of physical remedy. And the, only, the thing is this, only a relationship with Jesus Christ is ever going to provide the real remedy. We try this, we try that, we try everything that there is to try, sometimes except just looking to Jesus, asking Him to give us strength, putting that burden, just laying it at His feet. You know, it's like taking penicillin for a broken heart. There's a lot of things penicillin can help you with, but it's not going to do a thing for a broken heart, is it? Maybe your greatest issue in life is that you need a solid relationship with Jesus. All you have to do to establish that relationship is just say yes to Him. Allow Him to be your Lord and Savior. Accept the forgiveness of sin that He wants to give you. It's there for the asking. It just doesn't get any easier. You know, this, as we close this service this morning, I want to challenge you to, before you bolt out the door, just spend some time with God. If, if you're physically able, get down on your, your knees before God, whether it's at your chair, whether it's at these altars. Show Him that you are placing yourself beneath His authority. That's why we bow. That's why we, we pray on our knees. You know, there's nothing magical about it. It's really just a physical way for us to show God we're placing ourselves under His authority. We're willing to accept His direction. And then just spend a bit of time this morning asking God, be completely honest with yourself, and help, ask Him to help you see these areas of your life that you're really being overindulgent in. Sometimes we don't have to spend 10 seconds in prayer. We know what a lot of them are, right? We, we don't have to ask God to show us. We know, but I'm saying sometimes we can be guilty of being overindulgent in areas that uh, we have, we're not even understanding that ourselves. But God, if we'll spend some time speaking with Him and allowing Him to speak with us, He will always guide you down the right path. He will never take you down a path that leads to destruction of any form. Every path he takes you down is ultimately going to lead to complete victory. Do you believe that this morning? It's important we have faith that God is leading us to victory. If we don't believe that, what's the sense of having faith in it? The world wants to lead us and Satan wants to lead us to destruction. God wants to lead us to victory. I mean, which wagon do you want to hook yourself up to, right? It's kind of a no-brainer. But it's amazing how many times we as humans make a conscious decision to hook ourselves to something that's taken us right down a path to destruction. It's because we put ourselves in charge. It's always because we decided to put ourselves in charge. 
Spend some time in prayer. We've all got these areas in our life. We just need to recognize them, confess them, and deal with them. Ask God to help you overcome these desires that sometimes you're even guilty of placing ahead of Him. And just let Him begin to speak into your heart. Amen? You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.